what gets discussed in Geneva, Istanbul, New York, London, oftentimes, you know, does not really percolate down to the, uh, uh, to the community level. Now, we may disagree on this a little bit. Calling the next grand bargain, the great leap sideways. This is the podcast from hell. Grand bargain. Decolonizing aid. COP26 Humanity. Humanitarian action takes place at the edge of chaos. And to find the right answers, we need smart, honest conversations. That's what this podcast is about. Welcome to Humanitarian. I'm your host, Lars Peter Nissen. It has been a while since we last published an episode of Trumanitarian. We don't have a particularly valid excuse for that, apart from the fact that my day job has been interfering with my hobby, this podcast, and so we're sorry about that, but we are back, and we have a number of really interesting episodes lined up for you. We begin with a discussion of humanitarian exchange, a new conference that is being organized by the Humanitarian Leadership Academy. For the past couple of months, I have worked as part of the advisory committee that HLA has put together to design the conference. And I think it's a really interesting experiment that may contribute with something new and important to the humanitarian sector. I don't know how you feel about humanitarian conferences, but in my experience, they tend to be either sales shows for the latest water purification tablets and flashlights, or they're very rigid affairs where very important people read very important statements from a pulpit. For me, that uh, often results in uh, me spending most of my time networking and drinking too much coffee, and I rarely engage seriously with the actual content of the conference. For me, the exception is HNPW in Geneva every year and Cardo and Gilles annual conference in Chambéry that I find to be delightfully geeky affairs where new thinking is developed. Humanitarian Exchange tries to do something slightly different from your average conference. The thinking is that in order to meet the challenges of the future, we need to mobilize a new generation of humanitarians, and HLA has set the ambitious target of mobilizing a million humanitarians over a decade through humanitarian exchange. That's a really interesting and ambitious goal to have for a conference. And as you will hear in my conversation with Dominic Courage from HLA and Francis Iva, who is the founder and CEO of the Ugandan NGO Kafumi, a lot of thinking has gone into what such a platform would do for us and, and how we ensure that it actually connects to frontline humanitarians, that the information percolates through the system and actually reaches people who needs it the most. If you're interested in learning more about humanitarian exchange and joining the conference, check out the website humanitarian letter X change, so humanitarianxchange.org. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, the sound is not up to the quality we would normally like it to be, to be honest, but I hope you can suffer through that and benefit from the really interesting perspectives from Francis and Dominique. Enjoy the conversation. Today I'm joined in the studio by two colleagues, uh, Francis Eva, who is joining us from the Pearl of Africa, Uganda, and Dominic Courage, who is from, I don't know what the UK is to Europe, but you're in the UK. <laughs> yeah, in London. <laughs> All right. 
And Francis, let's begin with you. Would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, what's your background? Uh, my name is Francis Iwa. I am the uh, executive director and co-founder of a national NGO called uh, Kafomi. Kafomi in full is care and assistance for forced migrants. I'm also uh, a co-founder of the Network for Empowered Aid Response. And in Uganda, uh, since 2018, uh, I chair the humanitarian platform for local and national organizations. I've had, uh, you know, uh, work in humanitarian field in, uh, in this part of the region, in the Horn, in West Africa. I've worked with some uh, international organizations, Save the Children, um, the initial refugee council and the Norwegian refugee council uh, within within the region. So I'm happy to be back home finally to uh, to be part of the local response, humanitarian response. Thank you very much. And our second guest is uh, Dominic Courage, who comes in from the UK. He's the deputy director of external relations uh, at the Humanitarian Leadership Academy. And uh, Dominic, tell us a bit about your background. So, well, I've I've been in the humanitarian sector for um, just a bit over 10 years. And, and before that, I was I was in the engineering sector consulting with a company called Arup. And I've always had a bit of an outsider's perspective from that, from that sense. Um, and I've always, I suppose, my career has always been defined in some way by, by some sort of change. So as in the humanitarian sector, starting out as a, as a shelter specialist, setting construction standards, got involved in reconfiguring Save the Children. And now with the HLA, we're really looking at changing and developing how the, how the sector learns and transforms. Um, and then I've always been involved in collaboration. I guess all my work's been involved, whether it's building an Olympics or a collaborative cash delivery network. It's always about people working together and, and seeing what they all can offer and coming together. And we're here today to discuss a new conference called Humanitarian Exchange that HLA, the Humanitarian Leadership Academy, is, is organizing the 20th of February, 2024. And Dominique, what, what is HX? What is Humanitarian Exchange? Well, maybe let me start by, because people might not be familiar with the Humanitarian Leadership Academy. Um, the HLA exists to, to strengthen people's skills and capacity um, and, and develop, you know, develop the sector through learning. It's part of Save the Children, um, but it really has autonomy to focus more widely on the sector. Um, we've got a global response-based presence covering six regions, and we cover everything from leadership coaching, diploma-level courses, self-placed digital learning. And our Kaya platform um, has uh, over 700,000 registered learners, and we're approaching a million completed courses. So... That coupled with an ever-growing um, sort of research and evidence base around, around what we do really inspires us about where the sector's going. Our learners bring back incredible stories of how they're developing themselves and how they're facing adversity every day. And if we're going to find hope anywhere in the sector today, then maybe it's in that new generation that are super, super self-motivated, energetic, and delivering impact every day. But the way we see it in the HLA is there's two big problems. One is that there are simply not enough humanitarians in the world today. 
by one measure, there were two and a half million professional humanitarians worldwide. And just at a time when we are going to need three, four, maybe five times as many in future years, um, we're just not investing in a new generation. And then when we think about that new generation, too many are being co-opted into a humanitarian system as it is today. And many of them, when you think about it, look at their career path as maybe national NGO, INGO, UN. And they'll recreate all the thinking that got us to, the, to this stage. And when I think about the humanitarian sector, it operates in some of the most dynamic rural countries in the world. Yet just at a time when we need more creativity, more connectivity, more risk-taking, we're at risk of developing a generation of more technocrats, more bureaucrats, and greater risk aversion. And we need humanitarians from a much broader range of backgrounds and skill sets, from the private sector, from academia, from media, as well as from you know, the context you know, in, in which responses happen. And our grand ambition with the humanitarian exchange is that there, should, there needs to be a one million strong new generation of humanitarians who think, lead, and connect differently. Now, that's not just our task. That's a lot of organizations and people need to come together. But what we can offer with the exchange is a state-of-the-art, freely accessible annual cycle of events and a worldwide digital community that's connected to a joined-up program of learning. And we want to see through that a movement that represents a new gener- new era of humanitarianism. So I guess specifically, what is the, the, the humanitarian exchange? HX24 is the inaugural event. And every all a, a big journey like the one I've described starts obviously with small steps. And we're, it will be launching in London at the Business Design Center on the 20th of February, 2024. Um, but it's very much an, an online hybrid event. So we're hoping to have 4,000 people live online joining the event and 600 in person. Um, and so, is you know, in format, we will be streaming everything that goes on there. At one point in the day, you'll have six sessions to choose from if you're tuning in online. And we want it to be a participation. So it's centered around workshops, roundtables, as a hackathon running. We want every session to be have the potential um, to develop into action. There'll be an exhibition space. We've got some fantastic keynote speakers and panels that will spark the imagination. Um, and we really want to see people learning by doing. So where does the energy go, go when you bring 4,000 people together online? We want to spark that creativity. We have things like art, street poetry, even opera, to try and unpick some of our typical patterns. We really want to create a space where people can, can well play. Um, so that's where we're heading. And that's what we're, what we're launching in here to talk about today. Thanks, Dominique. Um, so Francis... I'd be interested in your take on this. I mean, you have rounded the humanitarian sector. You work for some of the big organizations. You now run a f- an organization you founded yourself in Uganda. Is uh, sort of street art and uh, poetry what you need to make Kafumi run? Or My take, I think, uh, having done the round, so to speak, and come back home, uh, has a slight different twist. Uh, to it because that uh, if we look at uh, humanitarians and we're looking at communities, local communities, we actually do see a lot of humanitarians within the communities. 
but their platform is very local. Their platform is limited to their communities. Many of them do not even have access to you know, global uh, platforms, for example. Now, uh, in, in, terms, in terms of uh, linkages between you know, uh, humanitarianism at the local level and addressing issues before you know, they you know, really become major crises, uh, I think there is leadership that is needed at the local level, at the national level, and certainly, you know, collaborations, you know, with the international level, because the hope that leadership should bring, you know, should initially, I think, start at the local level, because that, in my view, is able to uh, um, bring duty bearers and rights holders together, uh, being able to address, you know, problems in real time before it becomes a crisis. Because we've seen that increasingly, you know, the scale and scope of humanitarian crisis is so huge, yet the resources needed to address those problems are far, far, you know, uh, um, they're not that, that, that many. And some of the uh, solutions uh, really are very local without requiring resources. Uh, some of the solutions are linked to <clears throat> understanding, uh, rather making informed decisions based on information. But this is where, uh, in terms of uh, you know, collaboration and also conversations on uh, the issues, uh, to bring out local level leadership, national level leadership, uh, we need to unpack a lot of these issues uh, so that uh, you know, the, the, the first level uh, conversation, first level knowledge is first of all the local knowledge that has to be repackaged. Um, my my, uh, my my thinking is that uh, uh, we 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 are we are so much uh, a, a write up you know uh, organization, but within the local communities we've got you know oral traditions for example you know folklore and stuff like that. How do we tap into those resources? How do we use platforms? You know uh, whether it's local, you know, uh, stations or you know, drama, music, dance, so that we are all hands on deck, and we also adapt, you know, new innovative uh, approaches that will actually empower, especially youth, women, because to bring about change, we need the numbers. The numbers are really the youth. But a lot of the youth probably do not make informed choices and decisions because the information is not packaged in a manner that you know they are able to make informed choices. So listening to both of you, you are describing the same problem. We know that we will be faced with more frequent and more severe crises. We know that we are nowhere close to having enough manpower or resources to cope with the future. Dominique, you talk about we must have a million humanitarians. That's a great scaling target to take. Francis, you say these people already exist. They're there in the villages. The youth is there engaged. They are humanitarians, but there's a lack of connectedness, right? And so my question is, Dominique, how does a conference in the UK create that connectedness to those people, Francis, are talking about doing humanitarian work in the villages? What, how are you trying to get out of the headquarters, out of the capitals, and reach out? What 
How can you do that with a conference? Well, great question. I mean, we're starting in London because for practical reasons, but also, um, well, because it is a humanitarian hub. But what, what we're able to do that perhaps others can't is how we can connect across a global network. So with our, we've got 1.2 million followers in, 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 the, in the HLA on social media. Um, and when we put out a registration for something like this, then we get an incredible response. So already, just within a handful of weeks, we've got 1,800 people registered. And 80% of those are not from what you might call the global north. They're from our learners all over the world. And they're already engaged. As, as Francis says, they're already energetic and engaged across the sector, but lack that connectedness, lack a place to go. Um, and, and what we want to do with, with a conference like this, even though it starts in London, is to move it peripatetically around the world so that we, we expand that network and we make it stronger and make it more connected, not just through events, but through the digital community that we'll build from it and the, the uh, work streams and the collaborations that will run through the, through the year from the network that, that will develop over time. So that's where we see there's a real potential to, to connect, the, the, build those connections that Francis is describing as, as missing. Thank you for that, Dominique. It, it sounds great, but I'd like to ask you, Francis, from your point of view, the people you meet in Uganda who have this leadership potential, you see doing amazing work every day, How, what are the obstacles for them connecting to something like HX? Like I said, you know, our, 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 our membership is diverse. Um, many of them actually do not have access to uh, the internet, or uh, uh, let alone let alone uh, uh, phones. They do have, for example. But in terms of in terms of uh, the opportunities for connectedness, this is where you know networks and platforms uh, become very. Uh, very important. Um, the biggest challenge, of course, is that the, the, the uh, you know, the interconnectedness that, you know, has to be made possible needs to be resourced because coordination is, uh, is coordination is time. Coordination is, is, you know, requires quite a bit of resources. You, you need to have the right, the right fit. And, uh, you know, it's constant communication. And if uh, you know some of our members are not, let's say, connected to the uh, uh, to a network at the uh, national level, sub-national level, then it becomes very challenging to actually connect to a continental or international uh, 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 platform. But fortunately, we do have you know different uh, level organizations, uh, you know, like international organizations. We just mentioned Save the Children, for example. Uh, a few other international NGOs. Uh, you know, and ever since you know the uh, the World Humanitarian Summit in Istanbul and the Grand Bargain, you know, uh, commitments, uh, particularly on the uh, on the localization agenda, and it's kind of taking traction in terms of the you know the conversation that uh, the interconnectedness of of of, uh, of the issues uh, requires you know uh, requires uh, support, but that requires a bit of a mindset uh, shift and change because I think the humanitarian Uh, aid architecture uh, has been designed in such a way that for so long it had a DNA of its own that to uh, try and do things differently uh, will, you know, requires a bit of effort and time. 
um, if we looked at, for example, you know, the relationships between, you know, the uh, uh, you know, community-based organizations, women-led organizations, youth-led organizations, and national organizations, or even international organizations, uh, we need to address uh, issues of, uh, you know, the equitable partnerships, for example. Uh, how do we address some, you know, institutional level you know, support? Because some of the organizations exist as organizations, but if you look at how they are structured as an institution that uh, an international organization would define what, you know, an institution is, then, yeah, it requires a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, different methods, uh, methods of work. And because the relationships have been you know, a lot more short term, um, there haven't been a lot of you know, uh, long term uh, institutional level partnerships. So you have a very high turnover of organizations and institutions. And the space then does become a bit chaotic. So that requires quite a bit of you know, deliberate uh, effort. So Francis, it's great to hear you talk about partnership and, and equal partnerships. And I guess, Dominic, the key question is, to you is, uh, you, you work inside one of the biggest uh, organizations we have in the, in the industry. Save the Children is one of the, the big five, if you want. And how do you, from that position, try to really give voice to people who come from much smaller organizations. How do you construct an equal partnership in, in that situation? Yeah, I mean, the power dynamics are, 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 are present. What the HLA has is a degree of autonomy from, from Save the Children. We're really set up to focus on the sector and focus on how we develop the sector. So I guess with that reach into, into learners, local organizations, we're able to set up a platform that endeavors to be recognize those differences in power, but to have a mutual exchange of, of power and bring different people to the table on an, on an equitable level. Um, and then it's really up to delegates. We can only create the conditions for that conversation to happen. But what we can do is maybe strip away as many of the encumbrances of many of the preconceptions that prevent um, people from using using their power appropriately and prevent them from meeting on equal terms to say, what's the problem? How can we solve it together? What can you bring to this conversation? And what can we bring? Whether that's a specialist in Save the Children or a corporate or a funder, but what's the problem? How can we solve it? And can we meet together to, to do that? And then it then we really need to foster that, protect it, and protect it from sort of influences that might break that down. And, and Francis, in, in your experience, what, what does a good partnership look like? Very difficult to have an equal partnership, but equitable partnerships possible. So an appreciation of our different, you know, um, skill sets, uh, knowledge, you know, uh, knowledge levels, uh, and also, you know, uh, our access to different spaces, you know, the, the echo of our voices. I mean, if we took all this into account, then, you know, uh, we, we can look at equitable uh, uh, partnerships in, in that light so that there's a more complementarity, uh, that there's no one fit, you know, one, one size fit all. But certainly, uh, good partnerships, I think, you know, in addition to the partnership principles, when you look at issues of sustainability, for example, uh, 
Um, I mean, risk aversion is, I think, one of the biggest uh, problems. And uh, a lot of the partnerships that we do see now are more contractual relation, you know, relationships and a transfer of risk, so to speak. But, you know, there's not much appreciation of the level of risks that actually a national entity is exposed to within the context that they operate in, uh, whether it's in terms of financial risk or, you know, reputation risk or, or even just, uh, um, you know, operating within, you know, one's own community. Now, the humanitarian imperative, you know, for a local, you know, actor, you know, might, you know, expose it to different sort of risks than, you know, the humanitarian imperative for an international organization. Now, definitely also, you know, you did speak about uh, the voices uh, because uh, for far so long, uh, you know, voices of national actors, I think, you know, even representation, you know, is, is kind of drowned. And uh, oftentimes, you know, local actors, I mean, we, we, we are a classic, you know, example. We are, we, we, we are on a constant treadmill, so to speak, to uh, identify, train, and lose some of our very best. So in a vicious cycle of capacity building, capacity strengthening. So I think when, you know, uh, the partnerships do address the question of sustainability, intention at different levels, then we are also looking at advocacy, uh, you know, through our own voices, because I think it's very important, you know, where, for example, public opinion uh, informs policy. I think it's very vital then, you know, to have actually the voices that are affected, you know, uh, to actually, you know, voices issues, uh, whether it's in reports or, you know, in, in this kind of uh, conversations, uh, because uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, within the local, within the local context, uh, there might be very high risk of our voices, but through a partnership, we can actually address some of our, you know, local level challenges, you know, uh, at a different platform, but using, uh, you know, through the partnership, using a voice that is probably, you know, having more people to people, you know, connection is also enhanced in addition to institution to institution, you know, organization to organization. Because I think what really drives organizations are the people. So, Francis, you mentioned at one stage the World Humanitarian Summit. Um, and I guess if we look at how we have been trying to reform the sector, you have to go back to 2005 when you had the, the humanitarian reform. Then a bit later we had the transformative agenda. Then we had in 2016 the World Humanitarian Summit leading to the grand bargain and so on. So it's not like we haven't been battling with these problems. We have actually talked about them quite a bit over the past couple of decades. Now here we then have uh, humanitarian exchange, and, and as Dominique said, we have two problems. We don't have enough humanitarians, we don't, uh, or we, we don't have enough resources, humanitarians, money, and we lack creativity and diversity. So, Francis, looking at 20 years of tinkering with the system, how, what, what should we do with humanitarian exchange to make sure that that actually contributes to that change to, towards unlocking the creativity and the diversity we know is out there. How do we do that? Investing in uh, data, investing in in, in uh, uh, and sharing that you know that the data across the board, you know, I think is is a really starting point because uh, whether it's you know since Istanbul, what 
gets discussed in Geneva, Istanbul, New York, London, oftentimes, you know, does not really percolate down to the, uh, uh, to the community level. And because, you know, the uh, information for making informed decisions, the decisions that can hold duty bearers at all levels to account, then we are not really having the critical mass, so to speak, to bring about you know, a conversation that links uh, so that some, some, some of the decisions that uh, our own governments take, for example, can be challenged by uninformed population. And, and like I said at the beginning, you know, looking at, the, uh, at, at our demographics, then you really want to really have a very empowered, youthful population to make informed decisions. Uh, so that what will unfold into a crisis, you know, you invest in mitigation, invest in preparedness, so that, for example, if uh, policies and, and legal you know, uh, frameworks are being developed, then actually the communities that are affected get a very good understanding of what policies and legal you know, uh, laws are actually being developed to address those issues. And, and that in my view, is really what will probably be needed uh, before we even look for money. So first of all, Dominique, I think we have a, a rebrand coming up. I think you should call it the humanitarian percolator rather than humanitarian exchange. <laughs> we all need a coffee. Right? <laughs> And so let's go a bit granular here. How are you going to make sure that it does become a percolator? How are you going to make sure that it's not just another party we have in a capital somewhere discussing the problems we always have, but how will you design this platform so that something gets into the local community and makes a difference there, makes decision makers more accountable at the local level? How can you do that with a one-day conference in London? Yeah, I mean, a one-day conference in London is going to, you never know what might come out of a of conversations. So there's a bit of alchemy there. But I think it's really, as I say, about about what follows. So if we can have a successful launch and really bring people together on a different agenda from the ones that circulate and for 20 years have circulated in the humanitarian sector, then we can start to build a bit of that human connection. You know, Francis talking about is talking about data. That's incredibly important. And we generate lots of data. But the human trust, the human connection that you can build when you start working together on something, when you start connecting, when you start looking at the problem from a different perspective from the one that you have entrenched in your position wherever you sit in the system, then that has enormous potential. And that's why, you know, in the way that we're setting this up, we're trying to do this as much as possible with real really active participation at its core so yeah there'll be there'll be incre there'll be stimulus you know we've got incredible speakers baroness amos from the um, former un humanitarian chief is speaking the deputy De deputy finance, finance minister of somalia um we've got climate activists sabrina fernandez um maria nemazi anchor from algeria so there'll be that 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 stimulus and that um invitation to think differently but then that will be centered around conversation 
and connection. And then what follows from that is we really want to see work streams running so that people have the opportunity to, in small and big ways, to connect and to work together across the year. So whether that, you know, and th th those problems are not predefined. They're defined by the meetings that happen and the discussions that happen. And that's where, when you have a majority of people attending the conference who are not from the global north, but from communities around the world, humanitarian responders around the world, then the conversation should naturally center around where they're coming from. And the collaboration that follows should center around that. And that should be a great way to connect to all of the networks that are out there near GNDR, you know, the start network. There are many out there, but we can help to connect those up in a in a conversation that, that just gives people that opportunity. So Dominique, 10 years from now, what does success look like? What has changed because of humanitarian exchange in 2034? Yeah, sure. So I mean I think I think I think about it in, 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 in a in a few ways. So when we think about change in the humanitarian sector, um, there's going to be change through all of the amazing reform efforts that have been that have been going on, but it will only go so far. And often social change comes from the edges and comes from unexpected places. And that's where we think this new generation is going to be so important. Many of them might not know yet that they're humanitarians, but they will become it or they already are. And they don't know what system, they're not connected into a system in the way that they could be. But if we can get that critical mass, we've called it a million, it takes three and a half percent of the population in resistance to overthrow a dictatorship. So a million humanitarians can really see change in the humanitarian sector. But we, but I suppose in 10 years time, we, we hope for some of those circular conversations to fade away for, for that zero-sum perspective on localization to really be a connected perspective and maybe for disillusionment to be replaced by, by a bit of hope. So in 10 years' time, some of those new conversations will hopefully have matured and become some of the mainstream. And we'll have seen it because there's engagement from what now feels like the periphery, from the edges, from people who are outside the sector really engaging in the inside of the sector and meeting on a mutual level and having that curiosity. And so you will, you will see something from somewhere, from some of these conversations, start to take a really big part of what humanitarianism looks like in the future. You know, when you build a community like that, then you can really see magical things happen. You know, one, we're, we're fortunate to have partnered with, with Brandfuel, a, a, an incredible events and creative agency. Um, they launched something called One Young World. Uh, well, they, they helped to launch it 10 years ago. That's now had $1.3 billion of social impact delivered by youth ambassadors. So that kind of change is, it isn't measured in log frames or KPIs or, or metrics. It's about viral change and about inventiveness and social movements that start at the edges um, can really, if they, if they, founded in solid principles and shared purpose can really take hold. So, you know, we, we hope to, in 10 years time to have seen 
a million humanitarians in lots in all different ways engaged in more mutual conversation and a real ecosystemic shifts for the sector that come from the edges. And Francis, uh, you will be in London on the 20th of February. You are spending time and energy participating in humanitarian exchange. For you, what 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 would you be happy to see? Which change do you hope to see in 10 years' time? My, my success story would be that actually communities that are affected by crisis are really awakened to make a correlation between their own resources at local levels and the service that they need that you know must happen must you know they must get in real time and if the assistance comes from you know uh, uh, from beyond the borders then that should be seen as a bonus but that should also bring out you know the interconnectedness of humanity uh, that you know irrespective where you know, a problem happens uh, somebody the other side of the globe you know must you know feel that they are part of this, uh, whether it's through climate change or, you know, with COVID. And, and that I hope and I believe, you know, would actually uh, enhance a lot of, uh, you know, governance uh, deficits that are oftentimes part of the problem. Uh, if we look at, for example, some of the uh, uh, endemic uh, crises that we're dealing with, don't seem to be breaking the vicious cycle. I think that bold boldness is required. Now, bold decisions can only come about when, starting with the you know the communities affected by a crisis, are able to pull together and realize that actually they are not alone, you know, in in, in the challenge that they can count on on on, uh, on on the interconnectedness, on the international community, uh, on partnerships that are beyond the local community. Francis and Dominique, thank you so much for coming on True Mediterranean and for a great conversation. I really look forward to seeing both of you in the Humanitarian Percolator on the 20th of February next year, where we will be radical, we'll be bold. But of course, it's not going to be much fun if it's just the three of us there in, in London. So, Dominique, what can people do to get involved with the Humanitarian Exchange? Well, I mean, first of all, registration is open. So you can register to be uh, online or in person. Um, and, and invite someone unexpected. Invite someone who you wouldn't normally connect with, who wouldn't normally attend this kind of thing. Because it's really about who's in the room. And do get in touch if you want to, if you, if you want to partner or want to exhibit. Um, and I think maybe just finally I'd, I'd say sign up for some learning. Or if you're in a position to encourage your staff to. There are some great resources out there whether that's the HLA, uh, there's the Center for Humanitarian Leadership, Disaster Ready Humentum, but I'm going to say sign up for some from HLA um, resources. If you're not already one of the 700,000 people on Kaya, then register there and, and give, it a, give it a spin. There's 550 courses to, to choose from. That's great, Dominique, but you forgot the most attractive thing about humanitarian exchange, namely that we will end the day with a panel that will be broadcast also as a live humanitarian episode where we will try to take stock of what has been discussed during the day and to see whether we are making any progress, whether we are finding that radical, bold spirit that, that Francis talked about. Fantastic. Really looking forward to that. It's going to be a great way to wrap up the day. Great. Thank you, both of you. Brilliant. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Dominic. Thank you, Peter. 
and the freedom to be for people to choose their path in life and dream souls of men beyond what you see stages are different for each who will lead cycles of outsiders that get fat checks fly in fly out of places with slums and jets ask better questions pick apart educate and no one is safe we're here to build and debate we are we are searching for more open up your mind beyond rich or poor for the truth You've been warned, humanitarian. <laughs>